So good morning again. All right. Oh, I don't have my clicker. Hang on. I actually don't know where it is. It, oh, you guys rock. <laughs> All right. Okay. So have you ever heard the phrase, the turn of phrase, you have arrived? Okay, okay. If you, if you have a GPS, you have. <laughs> or a phone. Siri says that to me all the time, whether I get there or not. You have arrived. I've arrived somewhere. But that turn of phrase, you have arrived, that, that denotes something, something specific to us. You have arrived. It kind of means you have made it to the pinnacle of your life, right? You have arrived. You are successful. You made it. You're there. We tend to equate success with things like cars, money, fancy cars, money, being rich, all that stuff. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's how we, we tend to measure success. You have arrived with being successful. Um, you know, we like others to see us as successful, don't we? We like to maybe be seen as leaders. Isn't that right? We like it when other people see what we have and see what we've done. It does make us feel good to a degree, or it can. Uh, there's a quote by Cooley that says, I am not who you think I am. I am not who I think I am. I am who you think I am. Isn't that the truth? Whether it's bad or good, our picture up there, it, it looks like they're, they're pointing at that girl making fun of her. You know, maybe some self-esteem issues going on. It can be negative. I am who you think I am. That might not feel too good. Or it might feel a little too good. I am who you think I am. Why wouldn't you like me? I'm awesome. Duh. I am who you think I am. You know, we can uh, kind of get caught in this trap. You can take this quote multiple ways, but for this morning, I want to warn you about it. As individuals, we can become caught in a trap of keeping up appearances because we want to appear to be maybe cleaned up Maybe that we want to appear that we have it all together. I saw this one meme. It said, I finally got it all together, but I forget where I put it. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> forget where I put it. Have you guys ever watched this show, Keeping Up Appearances? Yeah, I love it. It's this 90s British comedy. Hyacinth Bucket is the main character, only... Um, she would like it if you would pronounce it bouquet, if you please. And she has no patience for people who pretend to be superior because that makes it so much harder for the rest of us who really are. It takes energy to put on a mask, to pretend to be someone you're not, and yet we do it every day, don't we? We do. We even do it here. We put on a mask 
even if it's just a little one, a thin one, pretending maybe to have it all together, maybe to be more happy than we really are, or maybe to be more spiritual than we are. And it, it takes time. It takes energy. It's tiring. Very tiring. And you know, we'll, we'll talk about letting down that mask, letting down those walls later. But for now, I want to warn us about the trap we can fall into as a church. Because if we can fall into this as individuals, trust me, we can fall into it as a church. John Wesley, I love this quote by him. He said, I'm not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist in either Europe or America, but I'm afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect having the form of religion without the power. That's powerful right there. Having the form of religion, it's keeping up those appearances, looking like we're Christians, looking like we have it all together on the outside, when on the inside we might be falling apart. Or we might have already fallen apart. And we're just managing the pieces. Um, you know, I've seen churches go down this road. I've seen them fall apart. And what would it look like? What does it look like when a church falls into this trap? It's when the church stops caring about who's on the outside, who's, who's hurting, who's not here, and starts caring more about things that are shallow, things that might be petty. We, we like to joke that, that we argue over the collar of the carpet, you know? It's when the church starts caring more about how it looks, the appearances, keeping up the appearances. Have you ever been to a church um, where you have to dress up or you have to dress a certain way? Or if you sit in a pew, oh, Lord, have mercy, if it's Aunt Betsy's pew, you know, start running now. These churches, and God bless them, they used to be something wonderful. They used to be a place for the people who didn't fit in. For the misfits, people could come, you know. People could be themselves. But when they fall into the trap of keeping up appearances... You see the buildings. I drive past them all the time. They start to look like that, don't they? That's just the buildings. You can see them as skeletons of what used to be. And I just wonder, what happened? When did they lose that divine spark, that fire for Jesus and making disciples? And sometimes they don't look like that. Sometimes they, those buildings don't look like that. Sometimes you can drive by and they look like that. And they're clean. You don't recognize this one, but I do. 
that this church is one of the churches I grew up in. I used to scare all the people over the age of 50 because I would jump from about the eighth step. There were kids, we had, we had tons of activities until we didn't. Sometimes they look like that. Sometimes they're pretty on the outside still, but on the inside they're vacant. That's the, tra the trap that churches can fall into. And when they do this, churches become... They become museums for holy artifacts instead of hospitals for the hurting and the hopeless. And I'm going to go one step further, and I'm going to say MASH units. Have you ever seen that show, MASH? I love that show. It's one of my favorites. What does it stand for? Does anybody know? What does MASH stand for? I can't hear you. Mobile Army Surgical Hospital. Perfect, yes. My favorite part of that is mobile. They go out. People don't walk into a mass unit, do they? Not, not, well, not the patients. Patients don't walk in. They're laying out there in the dirt. Patients don't walk into a mass unit. They go out and get them. They go out and they find the hurting, those who are dying, and they bring them back. They bring them back to safety. They bring them back for healing. You know, we are one of the largest churches. That's, that's what Steve said last week. And we're one of the largest churches in our district. I think we're one of the largest churches in our conference. And I love that. Because callings and dreams come to life here. And that's because we believe, I think we have bought into the fact that we are made for more. We're made for more than the everyday drudgery. We're made for more than going to work, coming home, paying the bills, going to bed and doing it again, right? I didn't hear a yes. Yes, we are. We are made for more than that. I think we do believe that. We were made to love and to glorify God by loving others instead of paying attention to what others might think of us. And that's hard to do sometimes. When we get it in our head that other people might not like us, it gets kind of scary, doesn't it? We might be afraid to step out. It might be a comfort thing. You know, it's easy to stay comfortable where we are within our walls we are creatures of comfort. You know, everyone loves to be comforted. Everyone loves to be comfortable, don't they? Yeah. I don't know one single person who celebrates when that spring in, in your mattress makes an appearance. I mean, I don't, I don't know one person who would say, yay, back pain until, you know, Mattress King delivers my Serta. Not one of you. If you do, maybe we need to talk afterwards. That's kind of weird. But not one of you would do that. We like to be comfortable. And you know, when, when, when we have discomfort, 
We quickly remedy it. But what I'm going to talk about today is what happens when we can't. What happens when we are uncomfortable and that comfort will not come? What happens, and, and I'm, I'm not, I am not a parent and I respect all you parents out there. What happens when your kid is uncomfortable in the grocery store? Yeah, I'm getting some raised eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not happy. It's not a happy time for anyone. It's not a happy time for the kid. It's not a happy time for the parents. You know, when we're uncomfortable, we don't like it. It's human nature. Last week, we talked about three phases of Christian life. We talked about childhood, adolescence, and adulthood. And in childhood, when we're uncomfortable, we need it fixed now, right? We need it fixed pronto, yesterday. Or we throw a fit. You know, we throw a tantrum. That's just a kid. That's what kids do. They throw tantrums. And then they grow into adolescence. This should sound familiar. Stop me if it doesn't. We grow into adolescence. We want to be independent. We want to be on our own. We don't need you or you or anyone else. And we don't even need God till we want something. God's kind of like this Santa Claus figure. All right, and then hopefully we get past that. Hopefully we are maturing into more Christian adults. That's what, we're, that's, what, that's what the goal is. That's what we're going for, right? Should be. And you know, part of growth is perseverance when life gets difficult. That brings me to our scripture. Maybe. So this is Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink my, from my cup. But to sit at my right and my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared for by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. So there's a couple of things that we can take away from this scripture today. One is that um, uh, 
the mother of James and John were asking for a giant favor. I don't think she knew what she was asking. They definitely did not know what they were saying yes to. You ever, have you ever done that? Not really know what you agreed to? Nobody wants to admit it. Sometimes we don't know what we are saying yes to. I have an example. Not that I do this all the time, but I'll give you one. Um, I used to be in karate. Used to take karate. And um, they were teaching us how to do throws, how to actually throw another person if you were attacked. And so they showed us And then they paired us up. Okay, well, I was paired up with this little guy. He was about that tall. And I was like, okay, I can take him. I can take that guy. I I had the attitude of, okay, come at me, bro. All right. Very arrogant. And I was going to take that guy. Well, it just so happens, I did not think that he could throw me. I did not know what I was saying yes to. And I flew through the air with the greatest of ease. (laughs) And I didn't sit for two weeks. To this day, I can't sit for very long. Sometimes we don't know what we're saying yes to. James and John said, yes, we can drink from that cup. They did not know what they were saying yes to. But Jesus turned it around. And he said, I I really can't guarantee you prime seats in the kingdom of heaven. But you're going to drink from the cup anyway. If we're to be Christians, aren't we going to drink from that same cup? Just nod, because we are. We're going to drink from that same cup. It's the cup of sacrifice. You know, there's one thing... Well, there's a couple of things none of us escape in this life. And that's death, taxes, and pain. We're all going to have that in our lives. None of us get out without going through some kind of trials. Um, there's some kind of not good theology floating around on the internet. I mean, surprise. Uh, But there's this one that I wish would not have gotten out. God won't give you more than you can handle. And I wish that was the case. There's things that wouldn't have happened. Like maybe the Holocaust. 9-11. Things in our own lives. All of you can name things that have shaken you. So that's a false. Where that comes from, it's kind of a twist on 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has, overcome, or has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out 
so that you can endure it. That's talking about temptation, but it's not talking about every aspect of life. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be trials. I know we're on such a happy topic, but just stick with me here. So we're going to drink that cup. But again, part of being an adult Christian is perseverance. The cup that Jesus was talking about is the cup of sacrifice. You know, last week, John uh, chapter 15, verse 13 came up, and that's actually one of my favorites because I really think it illustrates love a lot. It says, No greater love has a person than they who would give up their lives for their friends. And, you know, we like to take that scripture and, you know, immediately run with it in our minds. And think about that clean martyrdom. Of course I would, I would jump out in front of a bus and push my friend out of the road. Of course I would take a bullet for my friend. You know, we think about the big stuff in life. Of course we would give up our lives for our friends. But I think it goes further than that. It goes further into the sacrifice than just a one-time deal of giving up our physical lives. It goes into a sacrifice of love, of, of living right now. How many would sacrifice their time for a friend today? Time is a commodity, okay? Yeah, everybody has 24 hours, but 23 of them we spend doing everything else. You know, maybe, maybe when Jesus was talking about this, maybe he, when he was saying this, no greater love have you than you who would give up your life for your friends. Maybe he also meant give up your time to go see somebody in the hospital. Give up your time to go see somebody in prison. Give up the thing you want to do to go spend it with a sick friend. It's real sacrifice. And it happens on a daily basis. And you know, when, when Jesus um, answered back, you notice he didn't answer the mother of James and John. She's the one who asked the question. She's the one who asked the favor. He didn't answer her. She asked, can my son sit one at your right and one at your left? He didn't even come back with a, a positive or a negative on that. He countered with a question. And it wasn't directed at her. So what we take away from this is that, yes, you're going to drink that cup. And no one can drink it for you. No one else. No one can be an adult for you. No one can be an adult Christian 
for you. No one can grow up for you. You know, it's, it's really hard, it, it's, and it's our responsibility to, to actually do that, to, to be the adult, to grow up and help shepherd others in the fold, right? And lastly, what we learn from this piece of scripture is that whoever wants to be first must be your servant. And so, when we think about it, all leadership comes down to one thing. And that's loving and serving one another. That's what Christ did for us. You know, we just started Lent and it's a journey. And it's it's not something we celebrate, it's something we observe. And in Lent, it's a time to, to grow closer to God. And it's a time to draw closer as the body of Christ. As we head to the cross, which we are scripturally, it's leading us on a journey to the cross. Where we observe that Christ will drink that cup. And so, I don't like to leave without a challenge. So I'm going to challenge you. And you can be really cool and say, challenge accepted. But my challenge for you this week is that you would remember that. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. And so I would challenge everybody to be the greatest and to draw closer to God.